Hey guys, welcome back to Yanoya Podcast. This is Roshni and Shri, and today we're actually with some of our friends, which is super exciting. Um, so we can just go around and you guys can introduce yourselves real quick. Do like name, I mean, we all go to Pitt, so you don't need to say school, but like major plans for after graduation, that kind of thing. Hi, I'm Chase. Um, I'm going to be a senior at Pitt. I'm a psychology and sociology major, and I'm planning on going to medical school. Hi, I'm Akil. I'm also a senior at Pitt. I'm a neuroscience and economics major, and I'm also planning on attending medical school after graduation. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm a senior at Pitt, but I am a P2 in the pharmacy program. So I'm going to continue this for three more years, and then I plan on going to do a pediatric residency. Awesome. So yeah, this episode is going to be kind of about um, standardized testing, grad school, that kind of thing, Um, just to give you guys some tips and tricks for dealing with that stuff, because it can be really confusing. I know for me, as somebody who's planning to go to law school, a lot of my friends who are younger than me that are also planning to go through the same thing have texted me and been like, how the heck do I even start studying for this? Because I think, especially for the LSAT, there's there's no available information other than prep books, so it can be really difficult. Um, So yeah, Akil and Chase, you guys, obviously, you mentioned you're going to med school. So Akil, you've already taken the MCAT. Do you have any, like, big major study tips or anything? Um... I'd say for me, the biggest thing that helped is to make a plan and to definitely write that down and go through and check things off as you go, because that helps you stay, um, keep some some kind of a routine and stay on track to know what you're going for. Um, Because there is a lot of information on the MCAT and there's a lot of stuff that you need to cover beforehand, which can get kind of overwhelming. So definitely that plan helps to just ground you a little bit um that's that helped me a lot and trying to keep on like take practice tests and emulate your like the like what you would see in a testing scenario so lock yourself in a quiet room you know start at 8 a.m when the test would start take the breaks as they're given um you know stuff like that definitely helps a lot Cool. And I don't know if you know about this, but um, are like the testing situations kind of changing now with COVID? Because I know for the LSAT, I took mine remotely, which I think wasn't a very good situation, but, um, you know, had to be done. But are they doing something similar for the MCAT? So for the MCAT, it's shortened now. I think it's only like an hour and a half to two hours shorter, but now it's just, you still have to take it at the testing center. Um, but at the same time, yeah, they, they're saving time that way so that they can get like three testing groups in a day as opposed to two. So now there's like a, it's like 6.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. 6.30 a.m.? Yeah, that's when people have to start now which is unfortunate that is disgusting yeah i got lucky i scheduled a 1 30 p.m but 
That sounds yeah. awful. Not oh ideal. God. And yeah, it's just other than that, it's pretty normal as far as you actually have to still go to a testing center and then just wear a mask. Right. What exactly is like on the MCAT content wise? Like, um, you want to talk about stuff. that or me? Yeah, I can remember. I can kind of hit that. Uh, more specifics I'll leave to you, Chase, but I can hit the like general um, structure. So there's four sections. You have a chemist, chemical and physical foundations um, section, which is basically chemistry and physics um, primarily, and some biochem and organic chem as well. And then you have um, biological and biochemical foundations, which is, again, bio, biochem. Then there's CARS, which stands for critical analysis and reasoning Reason. skills. Yeah. Okay. Um, everyone just calls it CARS. Um, but that's basically, can you read critically? Can you analyze passages? Basically your SAT, ACT reading sections, but on steroids. And then you have psychological and sociological foundations, which covers a lot of your psych and soci sociology topics, along with a little bit of introductory neuroscience. Okay. So would you say it's more like to study for it? It's more knowing facts or is it more building a skill set? Um, facts are definitely part of it, but I don't expect you to know too much detail on the facts. So as long as you have a basic understanding of, um, I want to give the citric acid cycle, um, which is metabolism basically. So as long as you have a basic understanding of what goes on, they'll just ask you to take that knowledge and apply it to different scenarios. So it's, yeah. So um, a lot of people I know focus really heavily on sitting down and memorizing everything that's in a book. I wouldn't go that route. I would make sure definitely you know the main points of everything at least to be able to talk about it a little bit and then be able to say, oh, this works this way in this situation. If they ask me to apply it here, how would I do that? So, and I know there's a lot of um, practice problem packs. I know Kaplan offers one. There's also UWorld I've heard is good um, and the AMC, which is the company that makes the test also offers a bunch of practice material as well that I would definitely suggest looking to because practicing problems is the best way to do it. Cool, that's a really good tip. Um, Leah, would you say it's kind of similar for the PCAT or like, can you explain how that's structured and how you studied for it, how you think studying for it is, I don't know, the best? Sure. So the PCAT is split up into five sections and the order of the sections always changes depending on your testing center. So you have a writing, biological processes, chemical processes, critical reading, and quantitative. So for the chemical, biological, and quantitative, it's definitely only knowing straight facts and spitting out memorization. 
But for the other two, they're more skills that you have to build up over time. You know, going from a writing prompt and writing a good solid essay in 40 minutes takes practice, as well as reading X amount of multiple choice questions really quickly within 45 minutes and finding the right answer. It's not something that you can wake up one day and have. That's something that you have to build over time. So I would definitely suggest focusing on those two sections earlier. And the practice books help, but I wouldn't only focus on using those. Use your notes and everything that you've learned in class because everything on your tests are mostly things you've already learned. So it's better to take it earlier than wait until the last minute because then you have a whole bunch of new information that you don't need anymore. So that is what I would recommend. Okay, cool. And can you explain about like your specific program? Because obviously you're in accelerated um, pharmacy, which is super like, I'm not sure how unique of a program it is. I don't know, maybe you can go into that as well. Cause I don't know what schools offer it, but um, yeah, considering you'll be done a lot faster than had you gone to regular pharmacy school. Um, yeah, if you could elaborate. Sure. So pharmacy is a unique profession where you can kind of pick how long you're in it. So as Roshni, you pointed out, I'm in an accelerated program. So I did two years of undergraduate studies and then I started pharmacy school in my third year of college and I'll do four years of that. So once I'm done in six years, I'll have a PharmD. So other options you could do are do three years of undergrad at some schools and then start pharmacy school. And then some students decide to go the full four undergraduate years and get a different degree in science or math or biology and then go back to school to become a pharmacist. So I don't think there's any pros or cons to doing either one. I think it's just when you figure out what you wanna do and how long you wanna be in school. So I know that for me, it works out really well to go straight through in six years and be done. But like you pointed out, not every school offers it, although it is pretty common nowadays because schools are trying to be more accommodating. I know the three and then four year program is probably the most rare, but the two and then four and then four and four programs, those are pretty much offered universally. Okay, that's cool. Um, and I wanna like delve into that a little bit more, both with um, farm school and with med school. But um, I also kind of like, just to give my perspective on law school stuff. So for the LSAT, I would say it's actually kind of interesting because I think um, Akil mentioned like for the MCAT, it's definitely kind of a mix of fact, knowledge and skills. But it seemed like it was closer to the fact knowledge um, side and then the PCAT is like in the middle. And I would say the LSAT is strictly just completely a skill set. Um, like you have to, like you don't have to know anything going in other than like common sense stuff, like stuff that you would expect anyone to know. Um, I know that there's these three heavily acclaimed LSAT prep books called the Bibles. Um, an interesting name for them, but they are really, really great. And that's one thing that they say is that like, you don't have to have any prior legal knowledge, scientific knowledge, any real knowledge at all, other than what would, what should be commonly known by most people, really simple stuff. So for the LSAT, 
um, because it's skill-based. Like Leah mentioned, these skill-based things cannot just be built up in a span of like a week. You have to start really early for them and you have to practice them a lot over time. So you, especially for the LSAT, like all you can really do to improve is just keep taking practice tests. Like there's nothing you can do other than that. Um, like even reading the prep books, the main pull of the prep books is the practice problems. It's not really the content um, because you kind of just have to figure out as you go along. Um, so for me, that's what I did. I took a lot of practice tests over the span of a very long time. Um, and that's how I think for any skill-based section on any test and for the LSAT, because all three sections are completely skill-based is how you should tackle that. I also kind of, so I know Akil, you mentioned this earlier as well. So when you're practicing, it's really important to have like that kind of environment when you practice. And um, the reason I asked like if the MCAT is also going remote or anything like the LSAT did, they called it the LSAT Flex. Um, and they, they cut off two sections as well. So it was remotely proctored. I took it in my basement. It was really weird and I hated it. But I think something that like over the years I've learned about myself, including in high school, is that I overperform on standardized tests. Like I do fine on the practices and then I end up scoring really high on the actual exam. So for example, I took um, the LSAT last July, just kind of to practice. I really had only studied for two weeks and I was scoring low 160s. I went in and got a 167, which is a solid four points above what I was scoring on my practices. And I think the reason for that is simply because of the environment. And I don't know, do you guys have that same experience? Do you think that the environment is key to you guys as well? I know for me, I'm kind of the opposite is I so for me when I started taking practice MCATs um, I started off just a few things Kaplan and Princeton review tests if you take any of those are hard as shit um, like they you will not score well unless you're just insanely good at taking tests um, so I started off I was actually getting on my first one, I think I got a 498, which is not good. And my second one was like a 502 and it went up from there. But when it came, when I got to the um, AMC practice test, those were actually, I performed better on those than I did on the actual exam. So I think yeah, environment can do it, but at the same time, if you're taking it at home, you know, you're comfortable, you're going to be a little bit more at ease than you would be in an actual testing scenario. Like, I was extremely nervous when I went in to take the MCAT, which doesn't help, especially with time management and those kinds of things. Like, you either start off way too fast or you start going way too slow because you're worried you're gonna miss something. So I think, yeah, the environment can have differing impacts. I guess it just depends on the person. That was really roundabout 
way to answer your question, but. No, that was good. Jason, Leah, do you want to add to that? Um, I would agree with the kill. I do very well taking tests in my house or in coffee shops or at school in my apartment because I can sit down and even though I have a timer on to give me an area of time of where I'm headed, I know that I can take all the time I need mentally to kind of answer all the questions. But when I'm in a high stress testing situation, I don't tend to do well. I'm very bad at stressful situations. I tend to panic and I overthink a lot. And like you said, I tend to go way too fast. So I read through questions just so I can answer everything. And if I have time, I'll go back. But if I don't get the chance to double check everything, it's not my strongest suit. So for me, I'm with a kill. I do better with practice tests than I do in the actual exam. But with the ACTs and SATs, I definitely studied enough ahead that it ended up being okay. With the PCAT, not as much, but it still ended up being all right. I would definitely agree with that too, that I tend to, when you go to the actual exam, end up overthinking questions and um, like questioning your answers just because it's like a more high stress environment. So I definitely agree with what Akil was saying and that you should try your best to simulate that testing environment so you're not, so it's as similar to like your actual test day as possible when you're doing all your practice tests at home. And obviously over time and studying for probably at least a few months before your actual like MCAT, you end up taking a lot of practice tests. So it helps to be able to try and make it as realistic as possible. Yeah, just to add on to that, um, I think I took 12 practice tests over a three month span. And that's probably the only reason I ended up doing well is because you build that familiarity. The more practice questions you do, the more used to the timing and the um, the question format, because they do try to trick you a little bit. Like they're tough questions. So the more familiar you are going into the exam, I mean, there's always going to be those test day jitters and um, you're always going to be nervous, but the more familiar you are with the material, I found that that helps extremely um, increase your chance of doing well. So I would say definitely get as much practice with the questions and the actual exams as you can beforehand. Right. Actually, okay, that's really interesting that I'm the only one who like benefits from the environment. I mean, I hope I'm not like the only person in the world that does because otherwise I brought this up for nothing. I don't know, Street. what about you? Do you feel that like you benefit? I just feel like in the atmosphere, it's so focused and everybody is taking it. Like for the LSAT, well, obviously last time I took it, I took it in my basement, but like the time before when I took it kind of as a practice run, they don't even let you bring your phones in. So I didn't even have that to distract myself like before the test started or like as we were waiting to enter the room, all this kind of stuff. So it was very like, all I could think about was the LSAT. All I could do when I was sitting down was obviously the LSAT. So I don't know, I just like, I was very focused <laughs> and I didn't feel that when I took it at home at all. Like I felt so 
I don't know, out of sorts. What about you, Shree? Um, so the last time I took like a standardized test was in high school. Um, I think it was the SATs and the AP exams. So it was actually weird because for the SATs, like when I took practice tests at home, like everyone else, I was like really comfortable. Like I scored pretty well, but like every single time I went in to take the SATs, like it did not go as planned just because like, I think I got like so nervous in the testing environment and I'm just like someone who gets distracted easily. And like the first time I took it, someone threw up like in our room. So we had to, we had to like move out of the room. And that was just like such a like distractor, you know, like I was just like thinking about that because it was just like so gross. And like, I just, it made me more nervous, right? And then the second time, like, I think like the one of the proctors were, they were just like fighting with each other. So that also distracted me. So I don't know if it was like, just my luck those times, but I didn't like score as well in the testing environment as like I did at home. Um, but for the AP exams, like I actually did pretty okay, like compared like to the practice tests I did. Um, like when I took them in school, like I scored like around the same, if not better. So I, I thought that was kind of weird, but I think overall, like in testing environments, like I get more nervous. And like Leah said, like I overthink a lot and I don't have time to check my answers usually, but it's okay. Cause I'm trying to work on it. <laughs> okay. But that is really weird that I'm the only person here that like consistently does better. I, like I said, I hope I'm not the only person in the world because now I feel really odd, but, um, I bring that up because I mean I figured at least one of you would feel different than me and I think it's really important to like know how you are like what type of person you are if you are someone who generally does better in an environment that's like a proctored testing environment or a person that gets more nervous and overthinks because then you can plan for it obviously if you've never taken a standardized test before that can be kind of difficult because like how the heck are you going to know? But if you have at least taken like a PSAT or something, then I don't know, reflect on that experience. And I think Akil mentioned something really important that part of it is just kind of knowing what questions they ask you and because they do try and trick you. And I've definitely seen that on the LSAT as well. Like not even trickery it's more just like sometimes the sections are so easy and sometimes they're so difficult and you just never know what you're gonna get and it's like you just have to have the skill set to be prepared for any level of difficulty um so the practice is extremely important i know you guys have all taken like tests so far to get into grad schools and stuff so i haven't like taken anything yet but i plan to take the mcat soon um, what's one thing that you would say that helps you like to motivate you to study? Cause I know for me, again, I get distracted really easily and like I daydream a lot. So how do you just like center yourself if that makes sense? I know that I kind of did what Akil mentioned earlier, like make out a plan and figure out how many hours a week I wanted to study and just really dedicate myself to that, you know, carve out time in between my homework and being in class and any extracurricular activities I was doing actually make it work I think it was also my parents kind of whispering in my ear like you have to do well you know so it was kind of a combination of things like I wanted to do well I wanted to get into pharmacy school and my parents wanted me to do well so once you actually start studying at least for me once I start it's kind of like a ball rolling like I'm in the zone I got this 
but definitely, you know, take yourself away from the library or cafes or other populated places. And I guess for me, I don't listen to music because that usually distracts me. And I put my phone in a drawer because I always get distracted on social media. So that's what helps me. Um, my experience studying for the MCAT, um, it's, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, most people will say you need to put in a total of 300-ish hours studying for it, which for most people means four to six hours a day. And that's rough. So definitely spacing it out, taking tons of breaks. You know, what I would do was for the first month I was like watching videos on Khan Academy to, you know, refresh my knowledge base, which is a really good resource with, for all videos MCAT related. Um, so I would watch a video, answer the questions associated, and then, you know, take a 10 or 15 minute break to reset and refocus, you know, read a book, get on social media, I guess could help depends on you, whatever you think will focus you and, you know, recenter yourself and then get back to it. And then once you start doing practice problems, I would go probably 15 to 20 practice questions simultaneously, take a quick break and then get back to it. Um, just so you're spacing it out. And the other thing I've heard people do is alternating the topics that they look at. So mixing like a bio, which is super memory based with a chem, which is more application could definitely help. Um, so yeah, I don't know if Chase, you're actually studying for it now. You probably have more on that than me. Yeah. Well, like you said, I also have like been watching all the Khan Academy videos. Um, the past like week or two, I've been doing all the biology stuff. So it is like pretty heavy on memorization just like all the different systems but for the most part to keep myself like motivated and still studying every day i know you said like it ends up being like four to six hours of studying every day and yeah i end up doing like five or six hours every day um which i guess i started like a hundred days before the test date so it should be like 500 ish hours hopefully but I haven't really done any practice tests yet other than the like diagnostic at the be beginning, which like Akil said, like he didn't do well on his first one either and like neither did I. So that scared me. But knowing you ended up doing well after uh, like three months of studying uh, makes me a little more hopeful. So I'm hoping the next one I take is better. Um, but also, as you mentioned, with like the, the Kaplan books, like, like all those practice exams and questions can be like really difficult um so i mean i guess they're useful in a way but also can be a little discouraging so i have heard people recommend like the amc questions because they're more realistic to the actual test and not as you know if you're like me and tend to overthink all the questions anyway it, it can be a, nice to have that as opposed to like really difficult questions that are going to end up confusing you and make you doubt like how much you know the information so yeah, mostly to stay motivated, I just track all the hours. I have like an Excel spreadsheet to 
help me stay on top of things and obviously taking breaks is important too but I just try and stay consistent every day you also have a dog to I do you. yeah the and dog pet. is good for him yeah on my breaks I'll take my dog for walks well it's not my dog te- technically I got a foster dog and she's just here for three months so basically my whole study period I have the dog to you know hang out with um when I'm not studying so that's that's been nice actually it's hard to say um or to recommend getting a dog as as your study motivation or as your study buddy but has that has been helpful it's nice to have a pet around the house especially because I'm just home alone all day so it's it is nice to have the dog around well I guess I can weigh in on this too um so for the Elsa I basically like I mentioned before just took a lot of tests there's like google drives that um kind of circulate that have I don't know 20 or so tests I took all of them so I mean, because that's all you can really do. Um, We have Bibles, but because my brother also took the LSAT, he already wrote in them, so I couldn't do the practice problems, which is really annoying. But um, yeah, I just did my best with the resources that I had. And yeah, I would say that it's kind of easy to take... Well, I guess I never explained the structure of the LSAT. So there's three main sections. Um, and on the actual one, like two of them repeat. So there's five sections total, but there's like the logical reasoning, the analytical reasoning and the reading comprehension. Those are the three main sections. And if you take the flex, the remotely proctored test, there's only one of each. Um, and what I really like, I was taking two to three tests a day in the week leading up to the exam. And I think that something that's really helped me both be able to sit through the test because it's a lot of words (laughs) and also just like improve my score is making the sections and the questions into games. And I think that's easy to do with the LSAT because the sections are fun. Like the questions are a lot of fun. I'm not sure how applicable that is to the MCAT or the PCAT, but I honestly, I love like some of the questions, they're like puzzles. You have to, they are puzzles. Like one of analytical reasoning, people call it logic games because that's what they are. They're logic games. And they're so fun to solve. Like you could draw up diagrams and stuff for logical reasoning. It's like less interactive, but it's still a game when it comes down to it. Reading comprehension isn't really, um, it's kind of like hide and seek if you had to make it a game though. So I think just like having fun with it really helps. Um, Again, I don't know how applicable that is to the other two forms of tests we're discussing, but for the LSAT, I think that's pretty motivating. If you actually enjoy taking the tests, then obviously you're gonna be motivated throughout. One other (laughs) thing with the MCAT, I know Chase mentioned it and I mentioned it earlier too. You're gonna struggle at first and I'm sure that's applicable to the LSAT and the PCAT and whatever other standardized tests there are. You're gonna struggle at first, but making sure positive reinforcement is huge. 
um, if you let yourself get discouraged, if you let yourself beat yourself up about, you know, getting a 498 instead of, you know, like the 512 or the 518 or the 522 or whatever you want on the MCAT. I don't know how the scoring scales are for the other ones, but if you let yourself get down by that, it's going to be really, really hard to motivate yourself going forward. And um, that's... If you lose that motivation, the chance of you actually improving your score goes way down. So what I did was, you know, after you take a test, let it sit for a few days, take a day off, you know, go to a park, go for a walk, sit and play video games for eight hours straight, whatever you do, do that and then sit down and really go through the test to see what you did wrong and how you can build on that. And I thought that was really helpful for me, at least. So, yeah, just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to bring up because if you just keep, like I, I'm, I'm really driving home the importance of taking a lot of tasks, but what Akil said is right, you can't just keep taking tests and then not go over them. <laughs> like in order to improve you have to like figure out what you've done wrong and then change your approach to the questions you can't just keep doing the same thing what's that like saying doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity or something like it is because in order to start getting certain types of questions right you have to change your approach to that question if you're consistently getting it wrong so like akil said really like take a step back, especially if you're like a couple months out from the test and you have more time to do that. It's not super pressing to be taking lots of tests. Um, just kind of take a step back and see what you can do to improve on a question by question basis rather than on the test as a whole. So adding on to that, um... Would you guys like say that your skills in undergrad, like whatever skills you used to study, that they helped you like when you took these tests or did you kind of have to like change your whole like study strategy? Because I know um, some of the people that I was talking to who took the MCAT, they said that they really had to like sit down and figure out a new way to study just because like they knew they weren't good at standardized tests. So they just had to like figure out a plan that was like helpful for them. So did you guys like experience that or would you say that your undergrad testing skills like stayed the same when you took these like professional tests? I would say for me, I'm very good at doing like reading, writing, and grammar skills on standardized tests just because I spent most of my childhood reading and then I did a lot of English heavy courses in high school. So throughout undergrad, I was really good at tests involving those skills and I pretty much knew how to study for things like that. But for the math and science ones, I really had to figure out a new way to study. I was not very good at doing like quick calculus or quick algebra and like recalling a bunch of small little facts in my biology or chemistry courses. And those are the fastest sections on the PCAT. So you really have to know your stuff or you're just plumb out of luck. So for those, I really had to work around and find a new way to memorize those things. And a lot of that was just study 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 so it's not very exciting the way that I did it but I had a lot of friends who were the opposite of me 
and they chose pharmacy because they were very math and science driven. So they were very good at those sections. And then they really had to spend a lot of time practicing writing essays, reading a lot of documents, and honestly timing yourself and seeing how fast you can get through questions, figuring out which patterns you're missing, and working out that way. So I guess for the PCAT, I guess it just depends on what you're good at before you start the test. Yeah, kind of going off of that, for the MCAT, it's weird. There's, you have to also, like on top of just problem solving exercises, you also have to know how to, you know, disseminate rodent memorization or like road information that you have. So it, it depends on how you study, I think, in my experience, because I'm not a big, you know, memorizing things straight from a book. That's not how I've ever studied. I try to find connections and things, which is helpful for the MCAT, but you also need that rote memorization skill as well. So it, it's weird. You, you kind of have to adapt what you know your strengths are to what the MCAT is looking for, if that makes sense. Chase, do you have anything else on that? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I haven't taken it yet, but it is different from like studying for actual university classes. It's obviously, I mean, it's different from like way different from the LSAT and in, in like the perspective that you actually, all your classes, it's like directly related to all your pre-med classes um, instead of kind of being skill-based. So the skills are more like being able to understand like scientific research passages. And I didn't really know that going into it, like how much of it is a lot of the questions will be basically like short, what seem like short snippets of like scientific publications and having to like gather information from that, like both based on what you studied and just being able to interpret like the data and just basically what's said in the passages. So I definitely struggled with that on like the first practice test I took. Um, and like Leah was saying with being able to like read on standardized tests, well not just read, but like uh, being good at like interpreting reading passages for standardized testing, like. I actually did well on like the car section, whereas a lot of people struggle with that one because it, it wasn't all just science reading. Um, a lot of the ones I read were actually like philosophy. So I was like, damn, I wish Groshny could take this for me. But uh, I did pretty well on that. But yeah, it's a lot of science reading. So just be, practice is huge because before this, I had not done much of reading like scientific publications because in class, you know, they just have us try to memorize everything. So that's, yeah, that's Chase, big. Yeah, Chase brings up a good point that I don't think we mentioned before, but the MCAT, the questions aren't standalone multiple choice questions. They are passage based for the most part, um, which means you're gonna have, generally it's, um, very it varies by section but you're gonna have anywhere from four to seven i think uh, multiple choice questions per passage so you, definitely finding out a way to 
get as much information out of that as possible and then quickly answer questions. That took me a while because I either sit and read the entire passage like word for word, which is not a good strategy, or I just skim it, which you miss a lot of information that way that would be helpful in answering questions. So yeah, finding a way to get through that and study for that is something that I think, I don't know how the PCAT and the LSAT are, but I've, that I definitely had to adapt to that for the MCAT. For the PCAT, it's much more helpful to skim and then read the questions or even read the questions first and then go back and read the passage. Because if you take the time to read the whole passage and then look at every multiple choice question and every answer, you will never finish. So I didn't even think to mention that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll answer the questions one by one. So for like if undergrad study skills work, um, I think Chase kind of mentioned this before. That out, like law school in general, like there's no real pre-law thing in a lot of schools. I know some schools have a pre-law major. I had never heard of it until like a year ago and I know Pitt doesn't. So um, you can really do whatever, like you can major in STEM fields and still go to law school. I have a friend who's doing that. So that's like, that kind of just lends itself to the fact that the LSAT like doesn't require any particular set of knowledge it's literally like practice it's literally learning how to answer a question in a certain way um yeah and i think that applies to each of the sections differently so for the logic games you have to know how to dissect a puzzle and put it back together really fast for um, logical reasoning you have to know how to logically reason um, I don't know how else to say it but you know it's like once you learn the skills you're gonna be able to do it um, for reading comprehension and this kind of brings us into what Akil was talking about there's a very specific like um, method that LSAT people recommend to tackle the reading comprehension sections so there are four sections um, each of them has seven questions around. So there's 27 questions total. You have 35 minutes to read all four passages and answer all the questions. Um, so you have to be very fast and you have to be very like smart <laughs> about like what you're reading because you can't. So the main thing is that they're not going to ask anything too detailed. However, everything they ask is going to come from the passage. I already mentioned this before, but you don't need any outside knowledge to take the LSAT. Um, you don't need any fact-based knowledge to take the LSAT. Everything you need to know will be in the passages in every single section. So, and that's especially true for reading comprehension. So the problem with that is that the passages are very dense. They have a science section that's usually taken straight out of a scientific journal, a legal section, obviously it's the LSAT, um, also taken out of a journal usually, some kind of like history section or like um, literature type thing and then a passage comparison. So like passage A, passage B, what's the similarities? What are the differences? Analogies, like they're very specific kinds of questions for each of the types of passages. And the method that's endorsed is ViewStamp. It's 
what you're supposed to read for when you read all the passages is the viewpoint, the something. I, I honestly don't even remember what <laughs> what it stands for, but it's like that's what you're you're supposed to read for certain things like um, the author's perspective, the main point. You're not supposed to read for the details and <laughs> please do not read the questions first and then go back to the passage because that just wastes time. Because like I said, or just for the LSAT, um, that will waste your time because everything you need to know will be in the passage. So as long as you read the passage and then read the questions, you'll have a better idea of what you need to keep in mind, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Thank you guys so much. That was super helpful. It's super interesting hearing all of your guys' opinions because like, again, like the people I talk to, like I know like a lot of them had to change like com like their study um, skills completely. So it's interesting to see that like you guys kind of have like a mix of opinions. And um, one other question I want to ask, I guess I should have like done this before, but how did you guys like know that you want to go into these respective fields? Because again, like I like growing up, like knew I wanted to go to medical school, but I know like I kind of had some like times where I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And in college, like I did have to like change my major a few times. So how did you guys like have your heart set on what you want to do in the future? Okay, so I did not want to be a pharmacist growing up. My mom's a pharmacist, my aunt's a pharmacist, and my grandpa's a pharmacist. So it was like a big family thing, and I, I wanted to have my own path. So when I started looking at majors in like junior year of high school, I thought I wanted to be an engineer. So I was really good at math and science, and those were my strong suits. And then I took an engineering course senior year and realized I hated engineering. So that was off the table. And I was like, well, I still like math and science, so let's go with any of the medical professions. And I actually went to Pitt for a week or two, and it was like a healthcare, um, I don't know what it was called, healthcare summer camp, I think it was. And it basically gave me exposure to all the different medical fields, physical therapy, occupational therapy, nursing, physician, PA, um, pharmacy, basically every medical profession. And after that, I was like, wow, I really was interested in pharmacy school. So when I applied to college, I applied to colleges for both engineering and pharmacy school in case I changed my mind. And I went to Pitt because it was strong in both. And as I continued throughout college, I realized that pharmacy was a better suited major for me and a better suited lifestyle for me down the road because it had everything I wanted in a career. I could work with kids. I could work in the hospital. I could have the time I wanted on and off. So. It was a long process, but it got me where I needed to be, right at the exact time I needed to know what I wanted to do. So. I can just read my med school personal statement as to why I wanted to be a doctor. Please don't do that. I'm not going to, it's like <laughs> three pages long. Um, which uh, brings the point that for med school applications, I know we're probably going to touch on this later, but knowing the answer to that question, like why you wanted to be a doctor is huge. So like take the time to think about that because I didn't until I started writing my personal statement and I was like, wait, um, like trying to piece together all of the different parts of what made me want to go into medicine. It, was a little harder than if I had just taken the time to, you know, write things down as I went. But I, someone else go, I haven't formulated this. 
I guess I'll, I'll try to explain. I haven't um, wrote out an official personal statement like a kill, so I thought he would have been more prepared than me. But, um, well, okay. So basically, I had like an. I really wasn't sure why I did or wanted to do early in high school, but I had like an internship at the hospital and really loved like all of the surgical specialties that I got to shadow, especially. So at that point I was really interested in it and I've kind of just stuck with it since then. And I've always liked uh, just doing something where I can be, or at least I feel useful or I'm doing something helpful. I just know if I was in like business or something, it's hard to see like how I'm directly helping people, but something like medicine can be at the business major. Um, Excuse me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. (laughs) I understand. But yeah, just from my perspective, it's like, not that I'm like a super hands-on person, but like the just the way I see it, it was like, it's easier to see myself making a difference in something where you're directly helping like one person at a time, as opposed to, I don't know if you were, you know, if you're in business and you invented a product that could help millions, I mean, that's amazing. But I just, for me, like, I don't have that worldview, I guess. I'd I'd rather just work like one-on-one with people. Yeah. So not the best explanation, but I'll work on that personal statement and get back to you like a kill. Yeah. Um, I think I've, I had kind of a similar path as Chase did. Um, going into high school, I was like, I was really into science and I really enjoyed that side of everything. I'm not a big math guy. Like I was never bad at it. I just hate doing it. Um, English is fine, but science was always really interesting. And my high school actually offered an anatomy and physiology course that I was able to take. And that led into a summer internship where I got to go around and shadow people at a hospital for a summer. And that kind of did it for me. I was like, the, the, the big thing that I remember was I was in a, surgery it was an ob surgery they were doing a a hysterectomy which is where they remove the uterus if it's you know um there there are a lot of reasons that they do it but i was in the surgery and it was me and one of my classmates and the surgeon came by came off the table and told us to hold out our hands and she dropped this lady's uterus in our hands And I was like, holy crap. Like, that was insane that someone with just a set of knives can do something like that that possibly saved that woman's life. And so I kind of went and I did more shadowing and more of those experiences, um, volunteering. And it kind of just solidified it that, you know, medicine was the way to go for me. So I know a lot of people talk about that big aha moment. Um, You don't necessarily need to have one. It can just be a lot of little things that build up to 
you know, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer or a pharmacist or whatever it is you want to do in life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just like when you said someone with just a set of knives can do that, I thought of criminal minds like immediately. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, but that is a sweet sentiment. So I like that. I honestly don't know why I want to be a lawyer. I've like, I feel like I went to a STEM high school um, as opposed to Leah and I guess similarly to Akil, I went to a STEM high school and we had to like apply to it and everything. It was, and I went in with the intention of becoming a neuroscientist because that was just what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. I, that's still like the most, I think I talked about this in a different podcast. Um, I feel like I did, but like neuroscience is like the most interesting branch of science for me still like to this day i would love to be a neurosurgeon i just like going to that high school um i really realized where my strengths are and i realized that they're not really stem based um like i'm fine at it but and honestly it kind of just killed it for me like it killed the love i had for any type of passion i had for stem was gone after going to that school so yeah i kind of just like when i took ap go in senior year i was like okay well this is pretty cool and it's better than stem so um <laughs> kind of want to do something like this and i went into college knowing i didn't want to do stem which is interesting because I went to Pitt, which is, you know, known for STEM fields. Um, but then I was looking into majors and Pitt is number one in the world for philosophy. So I was like, all right, cool, I'll do that. And then I fell in love with it. So it worked out. <laughs> um, it really did. But honestly, law, I guess, is just the way that I think I can make a difference and help people while also playing to my strengths. I think my strengths lie in like analyzing, arguing, writing, that kind of stuff, rather than creating chemical solutions. Um, I just, that's not my thing. And that's, I still want to make a difference, but so I, I just think it's the best way for me. But yeah, I think, I don't know how long we've been recording, but I think it's been kind of long. So let's move on really quickly to like grad school stuff, how you guys kind of have felt you built strong applications. Obviously, I don't think, well, I guess Leah, you're the only one who's technically applied. Akil, have you even applied yet? Or are you doing it later? I'm in the process right now. Okay. So like, I'm also like setting up my applications. Chase, I know you're applying like next year or something. So <laughs> honestly, I don't know if we're the best people to ask about this, but um, just like what like you've done in undergrad to make yourself the best candidate for grad school, I guess. I know this is kind of a cliche at this point, but do what you want to do, do what you're passionate about, do what you love. Because if you just do clubs to resume build, that'll come out when you have to write about them on your application because there's a section of, I don't know how the uh, law school application system is, but there's a whole section you have to write 
a five to 700 character description of every activity that you've done and the impact that it's had on you. And kind of, you kind of have to touch on what that's development and, you know, but if you just do stuff to do them, it, it'll come out, it'll show because you'll have to talk about it in your application and then you'll have to talk about it in your interview as well because you know, they're going to ask you, oh, you were part of this pre-med club? What did you do? And if you go in there and you're like, oh, I just kind of like went to meetings and didn't really do much or say much, you know, like, obviously I'm exaggerating, but they'll, they'll hear that. They'll hear that sentiment and they'll see through whatever, um, BS you cook up if you're talking about something that you really weren't passionate about. So yeah, I think that's my two cents on that. So for my program, the two plus four, it's not very helpful with grad school applications because the way it works is, well, at least for me, I got accepted into the pharmacy school when I was a senior and I got accepted into Pitt. So it was based off of my high school grades and my ACT scores and my college application. So it wasn't something I had to do separately. So that part's not very helpful. But I do know that whenever we were applying to like confirm we were still going to pharmacy school our sophomore year of college, I had to fill out a basic template of application information, you know, demographics, background, stuff like that. And in those, you have to include a personal essay talking about why you want to be a pharmacist. So kind of like they were talking about for the MCAT, you definitely should have prepared what you want to do in your field and why. And then we have to have letters of recommendation. So something I would definitely suggest is getting close to teachers or people you shadow with or volunteer with or work for. Because I know that's something I was really worried about going into my sophomore year because I had taken a lot of undergrad classes that were big lectures. So I didn't have a great relationship yet with any of my professors. So that was definitely something I had to think about ahead of time and I couldn't wait for the last minute to do because those letters of recommendation are really important for getting into pharmacy school. And then the second phase is when you go through your interview and those are also really important. But those are more about life experiences. A lot of the questions they asked were like, can you tell me about a time you experienced this or a time when you felt this way? So your interview was more about telling your life story rather than all the things you've been involved in and all the great things that you've accomplished. So it's just who you are. So for pharmacy school, I wouldn't worry too much about being involved in everything and being the leader of everything, although those help, but it's more about the entire package than based on one specific thing in your entire life. Uh, I, I definitely agree with Akil and Leo that, I mean, I haven't applied yet for medical school, but there are, you have to be pretty well-rounded as far as being like a good candidate, uh, but you also want to make sure you excel in some like specific areas as well, because everyone's expected and everyone that applies will have like a good amount of research, a good amount of like volunteering and specifically um, like clinical volunteering at, at a hospital and and then obviously, you know, good grades and whatnot. Um, and then shadowing is the other, the other big section that's important is having some shadowing, like actual experience working with and just watching doctors. 
at the hospital. But for me, I've, I have like three research projects. Well, two now. Um, I used to have three, but that was just too many. So that's another thing is don't overload yourself with too many different projects and whatnot. Um, Cause like the kill said, that'll show if you're trying to do too much as far as all of your different extracurriculars and everything you need there. So for me sticking to like a little bit less was important, but for one of my research, what I was trying to get out for one of my research projects, the medical student I work with was, you know, saying like, obviously everyone's going to have all of those um, kind of generic markers. And it's important to have like a thousand hours of something whether that be like all in research or just all in volunteering or you know you shadow different doctors for like nearly a thousand hours so that does sound kind of crazy but you really do have to try and get a lot of experience in one area that so that they know you're really passionate about something in medicine basically um, so for me, I've done like a, a bunch of research and honestly, some research like basic science research. So the neuroscience lab I'm in, like, I don't like that. And I don't know if I'd be able to sell that in an interview either, like Akil is saying, but my other projects, like I do really like because I'm, uh, working with people that have, um, like disabilities, like cerebral palsy or, or recovering from a stroke. Um, and doing like uh, basically personal training with them to like evaluate muscul- musculoskeletal functioning. So that, that one's been a lot more fun for me and that's one that like I put a, I put a lot of time into um, like writing papers as well. So basically what I'm just getting at is like you need to really invest time in something to stand out. Cool. <laughs> For, yeah, it's honestly, I'm not sure for law school, but I think the consensus is that the LSAT and the GPA are the two determining factors of your law school acceptance. Um, I attended a talk with this dude from Harvard who actually, I think he's one of like the people who goes over every application. And he said, And this has stuck in my mind ever since. It's been like almost a year since. And I just remember this one phrase. He said that he wants to see that we maximize your time in undergrad. And I think that's really important. Um, That in combination with what Akhil, Chase, and Leah said, like, don't overdo it, but also like do something. Don't just, I don't know, don't don't be not involved in anything. Um, I know... Personally, I'm involved in a lot, and so it kind of keeps me busy. That's more of a personal choice. You don't have to be involved in like every single club on campus. But I think for law school, if you say don't have the strongest GPA in LSAT, if they do look at your application, you're gonna have to show a reason why. And that reason why had better be something like you were putting a lot of work into extracurriculars. Also, like, Honestly, this is something I've been considering that like I might not go straight into law school because I read that um, 
Law schools nowadays value work experience a lot. So I have been considering taking a couple gap years and just working full time. Still not totally sure about that, but that's also something to consider because that also, like, like I mentioned before, law schools does like they don't have prerequisites. Anyone can go um, as long as you have the time and the money, I guess. So it's important to like prove your candidacy by showing how you have utilized your unique time um because everybody has like a very unique life you know there's a lot of people like if you go to harvard law for example if you go to their incoming class demographic they have some really cool people um that are like just really really and they've led really interesting lives and they're like almost 30. um that's another thing a lot of law school people are like old so that's another reason why i'm considering taking some gap years so i'm not a child when i go around 30 year olds but yeah i think like i said this phrase has stuck in my head ever since i heard that guy say it and i think that's the most important thing is to maximize your time like akil said don't just join a bunch of clubs for the heck of it um, if you're going to join a club, do something in it. Personally, every time I join a club, I try to get a leadership position. So at least I'm doing something of note. And I also only join clubs that I am interested in. So for example, all of us actually recently um, have started a club. Chase, do you want to talk about it? I think this is the perfect place to PR it a little bit. Sure. Yeah, we're all involved in uh, the crisis relief club we started at Pitt. And basically, um, with the ongoing COVID-19 crisis, our goal was to donate PPE and just funds in general to hospitals and clinics and areas of lower socioeconomic status. Um, We're starting off in Pittsburgh, obviously, because that's where we go to school. So um, we're hoping to help some of the the you know the free clinics there that are really in need of supplies during these times so that you know that's just um we're a small club at the moment but just trying to help in any way we can yeah that was like an advertisement in the middle of in the middle of like a radio show or something but no i bring that up because you know it just kind of shows that like we're all very passionate about this and we didn't just join it to build our resumes, we joined it to make a difference. And that should be like, it doesn't matter how many clubs you join, as long as everything you join is, like first of all, don't overwork yourself. And second of all, make sure everything you join is something you, you're passionate about. Don't just do it because you see other people doing it. I just want to hit on one other thing um, that you mentioned, like people who come into law school, they're interesting people. And I think that applies a lot to medical school as well, because they're looking for people who will be good doctors. And there are a lot of characteristics that doctors have that they want people to show. And one of those is not being a robot, which is something that they talk about a lot, like well-rounded is the term that they use. But they just want you to be a person who's kind of interesting to talk to, who has, you know, like a personality. And I think definitely getting involved, finding the things that interest you. Like freshman year is the time to do that. 
Like that's when you can pick a bu- pick up a bunch of clubs, make a few mistakes in what you want to do, what you don't want to do, and get away with it, and then find out what really fits you. I think making mistakes is also something that needs to be normalized a little more because I feel like, I mean, just in general, but even in this situation, it's like. It's okay if you join a club and try it out and then it doesn't work out. It's okay if it's not the right fit for you. Um, it's always fine to you know, drop it at a later time if you just don't have time for it. But the important thing is that you try because otherwise what's the point of even going to college, you know? Um, I think that's part of why a lot of people like a lot of incoming freshmen, for example, um, like Akil's brother and Leah's brother, they are probably like really eager to go to school for their freshman years, obviously. And one of the reasons why is because like, college is about meeting people and trying new things. It's not just about school. As much as it is about getting an education and as much as that, like for a lot of people is their priority, like the draw of college is, the fact that you get to put yourself out there and try new things that you probably didn't in high school. Like maybe you didn't have the opportunity to, maybe you were too shy. Whatever the case may be, you probably didn't in the past. And so that's what college is for. And if you don't take advantage of that, then why are you paying however many thousand dollars a year, you know? Even like if you're not planning to go to grad school, that's just good advice in general (laughs) to just make the most of the money you're paying, make the most of the time you're spending. Um, Yeah. Do any of you have like questions you want to ask at all? I had one other thing I thought about when you mentioned gap years. Sorry, I'm just like sporadically throwing things in here. (laughs) No, I love it. My mind works, but um, you guys know this. Um, gap years for medical school are becoming more and more normal. I know a lot of people, especially in like certain communities, stress like you can't take a gap year. It's going to doom your chances to get into anywhere. That's just not true anymore. Like I think the average age of medical school matriculants is like 24 or 25. So, you know, you can take the gap year, but make sure you're doing something worthwhile with your time. Um, Doing something that interests you, that you're passionate about, that, you know, may help you get into medical school or help your, you know, future career as a doctor or um, that can apply to law school and farm school and whatever else you want to go into. But yeah, gap years can be really good if they're used properly. Yeah, with that, I am planning on taking a gap year before medical school. And I know that has become like a really common thing because as I was saying before, like the medical student I work with, he took one as well and like highly recommended it. Um, I know for his gap year, he told me he like had a research project at Harvard or something. So it sounded very fancy, but like a, a lot of people, you know, just end up doing I work in a research lab for a year or you end up just getting more clinical experience uh, somehow by working in a doctor's office. That's probably what I'm going to end up doing. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll you know get a 
good research project at a university that would be nice but um just getting more hours like in the actual like clinical situation is pretty useful as well on your application because if they know you've spent a lot of time in in a medical setting you're probably more likely to actually enjoy the career but um with that or i guess kind of not related to that but i want to ask a kill because going back to like mcat testing you took like 12 practice tests and i was wondering where you got all those practice tests because like my kaplan book only comes with three yeah um I'm trying to remember where I got all of them from. I know I bought a Princeton Review book set that came with four, I think. I also had a few Kaplan books that were given to me by a um, by a friend who had taken it the year before that had active tests as well. So that also had four, but I know you can buy the Kaplan tests individually. I think they're like 10 or $15 a piece maybe more i'm not sure it's been a while um and then you can find free tests online in a lot of places i know there's like next step mcat prep was one of them that i found you just create an account and they give you a free test they send you a lot of annoying emails but i think the free test is worth it and then the aamc practice pack comes with four or five, I believe. So I, if you look hard enough, you can find them for sure. Um, you might just have to do some digging. But Thank 12 is definitely that. on the higher end. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I've never heard anyone take that minute, but I yeah. mean, a lot of practice helps. So I, I get that. Yeah, I, I have like three in the book and I know the, the AMC ones are like, 15 or 20 dollars each or something yeah i mean if you can i would honestly just there's a whole practice pack comes with a lot of questions the bundle's like 300 dollars or something though it's very much worth it mm-hmm. it helps a lot um i think that was the tool that i used the most going towards the end of my mcat studying i know it it's expensive definitely but compared to some of the Kaplan practice courses and, um, you know, stuff like that, it's super cheap. Yeah, so, that's, that's true. The courses can be like thousands, I guess. So. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. Um, I would not invest in the course unless you know for a fact that you are just horrendous at self-discipline. Um because the courses from everyone I've talked to, like they're helpful, but you can get by without them. And I didn't take one. Um, and it honestly, there's enough free resources out there that you can get away with not spending $5,000 on a practice course. Cool. Um, any other tips and tricks for anything like either college stuff um, standardized test stuff. What else did we even talk about today? I feel like we <laughs> talked about a lot. I think Jen, just a general like life tip is don't stress too much. I, I know it's easier said than done, but 
Um, yeah. The more you stress about things, the easier it is to let yourself snowball and get out of control. So like, try to take some time, especially when you're studying for exams like this, to honestly just sit down and take a few deep breaths, meditate a little bit if you want, um, whatever calms you down. But. Yeah, I was gonna say, remember to have fun. Again, like you said, it's easier said than done. But honestly, it's one college is supposed to be the best time of your life. And if there's one thing I've learned is that you will end up where you're meant to be. You put in the hard work, obviously. But again, as he said, take a deep breath, enjoy your surroundings, enjoy your friends, and trust that like everything will work itself out because I promise you it will. <laughs> You know, people in my class now are stressing out about jobs and internships and whether you stress out or not, you will get one. Life will move on. It will be okay. You know, this stuff is important, but it's not the end all be all, you know, mental health and sanity and enjoying yourself with your friends is like, this is what the time to do it. So please take the time to enjoy it while you can. Yeah, I feel like our friend group always, always says that every year and then every year we stress out. So <laughs> I think we need to it's, take our own advice. <laughs> it's the effort that counts. Yes. It's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I seriously like, I met my best friends at college. So really take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you, not just in an academic sense. Um. I think we didn't really get to talking about like grad school itself like Leah's experience but it's already been I think an hour and a half so I don't even know if this can be one episode or if I'm gonna have to split it because it's really long um especially because we didn't even make many mistakes so Look it's like straight up an hour and a half of us talking so I <laughs> So if you guys want, we can do another episode of just like Leah and talking about grad school and talking about like, because especially like both for med school and law school, we mentioned how there's kind of older people there because people are taking gap years nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I guess you're the only person who would actually have experience maybe with like being in a class with people that are older. Mm -hmm. Um that kind of thing. So we can always talk about that at another time if you guys are willing. But yeah, I think that's it for today. Unless you guys have anything else to add. One more chance, Akil. 